bad. Has now been around for three seasons and coaches everywhere are saving time and being more efficient when it comes to scout cards. Coach Robinson from Texas says, the thing I most enjoy is the ease of access to all the scout cards and how I can draw on them if I need to make any changes. Every coach that uses it says that it is so great to use. If you and your staff are tired of the old ways of preparing and using scout cards, check out thecoachpad.com to start enjoying scout team and making the 2023 season better than ever. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. Uh, today we have the head football coach at Holdenville High School in Oklahoma, Coach David Barker. Coach, how you doing? I am doing fantastic. I am very thankful to be on here with you, Coach. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, kind of before we get started, how did you end up as the head football coach at Holdenville? Uh, so started out coaching when I was 21. Uh, was a GA coach for a few years for free. Uh, ended up being in DC that last time. Went overseas and coached a, coached in Portugal while I was a missionary over there. Came back and decided defense was the hard side of the ball, so I started coaching offense. Uh, from there, I took a gosh, I took my first head coaching job at Yale when I was about thirty, and my goodness, I was an awful first time head coach. Uh, went a couple of years there, then uh was at Hugo three years where I really started to kind of grow and progress as being a head coach. Last year, I was the athletic director and head football coach at Genoa Central in Arkansas. My wife's from that area. And then uh, decided that athletic director takes up a ton of time. And since I have five kids, uh, I want to spend a little bit more time with them. So we came back to Oklahoma and started searching around for a school that really loved football because I've uh, been in a few places where, you know, they like sports, but football isn't the first passion. So I found Holdenville, who is just absolutely loves football. And so fell in love with it, applied for it, got it. And uh, it has been a whirlwind of a year in a really good way. Good. Now, I mean, we talked, you, this past year was your first year running the shotgun double wing. Kind of, do you want to talk about why you made that transition from being more of a spread coach to – we're, we're going to run the shotgun double wing because that's usually not everybody's first inclination is to go from, oh, we're spread, especially in the land of Texas, Oklahoma, where it is the Lincoln Rileys, the Air Raids, the Mike Leaches. I mean, TCU's right down the road from you within reason. Oklahoma State is a variation of the Air Raid. Why make that transition to the shotgun double wing? So last year, I used to be a big guy in philosophy of I'm going to throw a lot of formations at you. And I always would tell people when I went to talk with them, I don't have to outsmart the coach. I just have to outsmart his players over there. Well, I, I come to the realization over a while I was actually outsmarting myself. And when I say that, I had one player who I did a lot of gadgets with and moved them all around the field. And since I coached at a small or smaller school, he got hurt. And when he got hurt, the backups and the third strings that went in there couldn't do nearly as much as him. And I felt really handicapped. So the last, the game of the last game of the season, I decided I was going to do one formation and it, it was an overset, almost like a single wing. And when we did it, it just, it was so simple making adjustments. Like if a defensive end was giving us some problems first, you know, we'd go tight end over, then we go tackle over and just the simplicity of it made life a lot easier. And then, so after the season, I started thinking, how am I going to do this right? Well, my very our second year as a head coach, we played against a team in Oklahoma, Pawnee, Oklahoma, that started running run the shotgun double wing. 
And when I remember that whole week, it was just a booger to try to stop them because you try to, they ran power so much. You try to overload the gaps over there. But as soon as, as soon as you weren't balancing your defense, they have counter or sweep back the other way. And it's just, I could not think of a good way to stop it. So that thought process married with a, the more I watch NFL or college teams, and you know, every time you hear a sudden change and you hear them wanting to have a big shot play, well, I noticed a lot of those times, especially in my own life, when we did it, either it was incomplete and it put us in second along, or we had to turn over and lost all of our momentum. And so I wanted to go to an offense to where we could control all that and get in a lot of third and shorts and fourth and shorts and control the game. And then so I started studying this a lot from uh, Tim Murphy, and then I got some of his material. And then Fife Alabama really did me a solid. I sent them a huddle thing and asked if they could send me a couple of their games. And they've been running this uh, at least six years and had five state championships. So just watching the simplicity of their offense now they have good players but just the simplicity and how well they're coached I just I fell in love with it I just thought the from the installation to how you run it to the mentality it gave you I thought it was kind of the philosophy that I want to be okay now what what did you cut now as you've done your evolution what have you kind of learned going forward because like obviously like i mean you have limited experience but you're you've bought into it what have you kind of learned as you've gone through the process okay so one of the things is i learned it makes life on the offensive lineman easier so this program last year the one i took over was one and nine and they were spread so one of the games i went and watched is they had the state runner up on the schedule last year that was the state champions this year i mean just Freak athletes everywhere, big 6'4 defensive end, just really good players. And they were trying to block them one-on-one with their tackles. And they just – he had trouble getting off slants. And so what I've learned about this progression is you get a double team at the point of attack every time you're running power or counter. And so it's not a combo block where they're coming off a linebacker. They're taking that big old 6'4 defensive end who normally would whip one guy, and you're putting two guys on them. So – it's hard to take away power like that. Uh, some of the things I also learned, you don't, you don't have to pass the ball. I know that's kind of boring for some people. We had 13 passes all year. Uh, I'm trying to think. I know that's what we completed 13 passes all year. We threw for about 150 or 200 yards, but we had 4,000 yards rushing. I mean, this is – this is from a team that was 1-9 last year, and the most points they scored in a season was 28. It's the same personnel. It gives you that type of mindset. And then I really liked – it was a guy, I think, uh, in Nebraska that had some type of coach to teaching. It, it allows you to be close against the really good teams. If you can shorten the possessions down – so, in, in other words, I, instead of giving a really good team six to seven possessions and a half, they only get four possessions in the first half, so maybe they score twice. So you might be going into halftime down 14-7 or 14-14 against a lot better team. That gives your guys a lot of confidence. And that's stuff that when you're getting blown out by 40 points by halftime, trying to take over a bad team, I mean, confidence is everything that changes it for you. You got to build confidence in them. And they got to have success against good teams to do that. Yeah, no, I agree, Coach. Now, I mean, with that progress from one and nine to nine and two, I mean, let's start, let's start first with the buy-in. How did, I mean, 
when you, your staff and your players, how did you get them to buy into an offense that is foot to foot? Everything is in a, I mean, I mean, my, my old head coach used to say it was a, it's a fist fight in a phone booth, essentially. Um, yeah. and, and to your point, you're not like, you're not going to throw the ball. Like you, I mean, you had under 300 yards to, now. Yes. You had 4,000 yards rushing, but you only had under 300 yards passing. How do you create that buy-in amongst your team? I'm going to tell you that first month was pretty hard. So come in, uh, <laughs> I had a formation. I mean, you remember these guys had four receivers and, and the personnel is still the same. So most of these guys still identify as receivers. Uh, I showed them video of five Alabama have success, showed them video of the team in Oklahoma who runs it. And then uh, the first few practices, I mean, it was tough, even on the coaches, because it was just such a different concept. You're thinking, is this a gimmicky offense going to work? But then what we did is we had a camp schedule. We were going to go to one that had a really bunch of good players. It cost a little bit too much money for the players. So we went to one that was primarily guys playing their JV. When we ran, ran the offense, even though it was our varsity against their JV, we had a lot of success with it. And as soon as they started seeing us moving the ball, and going back even on film where we could point out what they were doing and how we could do it better, it's like they had an aha moment. Okay, this janky offense can work a little bit. And from there, uh, it just when I say the Lord bless, the first game was against our big rivals. We won 70 to nothing. So they go out, they start moving the ball. It's just, it builds on itself there. You keep doing it. You're calm. You don't panic when things aren't going right in practice. You don't install too much too fast. And, the more they run, they get really confident to where you see any front. They're not flamuxed by They're not, they don't lose their minds. They just say, okay, no matter what, we can run power. We don't have to put in a new play this week based on what they run. So simplicity and uh, them having success with it early really helped out a lot. Now, now obviously the, the offense has helped lead to your success and the, Offense in general allows you to, I mean, it helps your defense too because it keeps them off the field as much as possible. But what else in that 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 transition from one to nine to nine two would you attribute to the success that you had this year? Uh, some of the big things. So one of the things we did is we moved our best athlete to quarterback. And I know it sounds simple, but if your best player is not touching the ball a lot when you're playing, you're probably not as good as a coach as you need to be. So he went from touching it four to six times a game to we had one game, he had 33 carries. So best players touching it. Another one, like we said, uh, when we were doing practices early on in the summer, we focused on competing and aggression. So like whether we're doing defense uh, in the summer, we're running, like say you're running a pursuit drill. It's all about getting there as fast as possible. We're trying to make him aggressive. And then when we're doing races or some type of wrestling aggression game, it's about trying to make them aggressive. And uh, that's generally the thing. It took over a few teams, and we made them successful. Generally, the one thing, they don't they don't have aggression. And number two, they, they don't have confidence in their schemes they're doing. Uh, next thing, and every coach says this, this is so true. Uh, I'm always a big believer. I have a mission and a passion. One mission is – to follow the Lord and make him known. And the second was passion. I want to win a lot of football games. And so relationships really are a big deal. And early on, I didn't get this as a coach. Each player ticks differently. 
to where I have some players you got to get on them a little bit more. I have some you got to go and you got to have a conversation with them consistently. I really focused on building a lot of those relationships to where you can coach them hard, to where they, they trust what you're saying. And I don't think I valued that as much as a, a very young head coach as I do now, to where if you don't build relationships with them, it doesn't matter how fancy your scheme is. They're, just, they're not going to execute it going hard for you. So that's from some of the few things we did right there that was pretty simplistic. Okay. Now, now transitioning back to that, you mentioned moving your your best athlete quarterback. Now, with that, did you do a lot more quarterback runs out of the sh- shotgun double wing, or, I mean, what was the? Can you explain a little bit more in detail why you moved him to quarterback? Yeah, so he's not really when he's not super big. He's about 150, 155 pounds, only like five seven, but he is fast and quick. And so some of the run schemes we did with him. We can run power with them to where we give a high motion. The back end looks like rocket. We run counter where the tailback just crosses his face. But the big one, we were actually really bad in uh, fall camp in August running it, but just the Trojan play. We go over with it. We go heavy set with it. So my quarterback this year had a 99-yard run, a 97, two 95-yard runs. Uh, and the big money play all the time was Trojan. And then what we would do is when people start to take away, so we'd come up and we'd be in an overset with our tight end over, people would start adjusting to it. So we started doing a sugar huddle. We'd run up there and be set with it. So before they had a chance to get set, it allowed us still to execute it, even though, gosh, we were almost 100% out of that set running Trojan to it with a quarterback. And we still had success with it. Uh Simps, obviously, we didn't pass it a lot. Uh, in the big games, we re- we used him a lot more. And in the games where we thought we had a good chance to win, we, we try to limit his carries to maybe 10. So one game, he had 33 carries. Another game, we played a really athletic team. I want to say he had 28. So we were, we kind of try to be smart on how many carries he got, depending on the team we were playing. Now, I'll kind of expand on that, because you mentioned Trojan Sweep there. And I think it's a very, I'm not going to say ignored part, but when people talk double wing, they really don't talk as much about the Trojan sweep. I mean, the shotgun people obviously know it, but why do you think Trojan sweep was so successful for you overall? I mean, it, it, it I mean, you could argue just it's a wide buck sweep, whatever, but why do you think, because I mean, really Trojan sweep was the thing that Tim Murphy added to his offense that kind of helped take it to the next level because when people took away power and counter, he had that tool. Um, it's kind of like the under center double wing people adding rocket. Why do you think that helped? What one, why do you think the play was successful? And the two, why do you think it helped you so much? We, we were different from sh- some shotgun double wing teams. So when we run power or counter, we don't pull the backside guard, we pull backside tackle and tight end. Uh, when we did it, we thought it would kind of mess with some of the linebackers' reads, who most are usually taught to read guards. So when we do Trojan. It is both guards pulling. So instead of them seeing the guards pull all the time, it's the changeup play, the one where they don't normally see them. And to you mention it, to me, it is just a version of Buck Sweep, but we have an extra blocker there. So when we run, when we run power, the tackle is the one setting the double team. When we have trouble getting that C gap, now the tight end sets the double team. Most of the time, he might struggle with it. And I, I know there are some guys in the shotgun double wing who t- who just allow him to hook because it hits wider. 
we use our tight end and wing, and we almost double team that every time because we want the edge set. And where it's unique is especially when we go to the queue, one, we have the, the tailback able to, to go out to the corner, but two, the overhang, the S gets. So instead of the play side guard getting the S, is, I'm sorry, the sniffer, he's going to get the overhang, and now both guards are wrapping instead of one of the guards having to kick out. And it's still tough because the overhang still has his rules to where normally he's going to keep edge. So if he squeezes it all, Trojan bounces. If he runs up field or if he keeps his edge right here, now you have two guards wrapping through the hole right here. It makes it a little bit tougher. And so one of the things we found really kind of nice is sometimes we don't block stuff very well. When I say that, they get off blocks. But when we're sending three guys through the hole that are swabbing, one of the other guys picks them up or they don't tend to see our tailback as well. It's it's crazy how many people just – you never see it when you play other teams. Now, I'm seeing teams a lot, especially some of the big schools, a lot doing versions of it where they're running super counter. But when you have two, three guys swabbing through the hole, it's hard to feel through there as a linebacker as a safety. So it allows you to get maybe two or three more yards that you wouldn't normally get. Okay. Now, now with this also, and with this being your really first full year running it, what issues did you seem to discover as you kind of went through it that you didn't necessarily see or um, just kind of popped up as you went? Uh, one of the things we weren't really good at that put us back a little bit is early in the season, we thought we were going to be really good at rocket. We were fast. And we did a version of a guy in Opelika, Alabama. That's not it. I said it wrong. But a guy in Alabama who, who pulls his play side guard and tackle and the backside false pull or sucker pull the other way. When we did that, any any play side one technique who was really athletic would hunt us down because it just took too long to develop, develop. And I know that shouldn't be the case. And rocket guys are like, inside techniques should never get you, but they were getting us. So that one put us back a little bit. Uh, we When we started the year, we only had like one lineman call for a double team, whether it be the center and guard or guard and tackle. By the end of the season, we had three or four ways when we call a double team between them. That way, they wouldn't be picking off her calls so much. And our backside would always have dummy calls. So either way, both sides always were given calls at the line of scrimmage to where they didn't know if it was play side or not. Early in the year, we didn't have that. Uh, trying to think some of the other things that frustrate us a lot. One thing that gave us problems in the beginning of the year was a lot of line shifts or movements. And... You know, when you're installing offense, you can only be good at so much so early. As the year progressed, we used the sugar hole to get up to where they maybe couldn't move or stem so much on us. Uh, we'd shift a little bit more. We had to get really good. When I say shifting, we had to get good at in cadence. When, a, when he said ready and our lineman's hands are going down, we're shifting. We're not waiting to see what the offense is. We're moving now so the quarterback could always keep his cadence and not get a delay game. It's little things like that. And I, I, I'd be willing to bet almost every shotgun double wing guy says it. A guy in the C gap, uh, a really good defense alignment or, or a, a six technique head up over the tight end. We had to really develop our offensive line calls to where that we could do things with that. It wouldn't give us a whole bunch of problems. That that was a maturation throughout the season that we got better at. Okay. Now, also with that, what I mean, you kind of mentioned the six technique there. What defenses did you typically see? Because, like, when, when I've been part of this before, early on we saw a lot of odd fronts, five, seven-man fronts, and then it kind of morphed as the season went on. We kind of saw more of the four, four, six, two fronts. What did you kind of see um, over the course of the year? How did people try to attack you? 
You know, that was the wildest thing. So like how you said they had an inverse. So we'd play teams that were even a forefront during the uh, all the previous weeks, even against heavy run teams. And when they come out to us, they'd be an off front, talking about a head up nose, four techniques over the tackles and two linebackers. Now, they'd usually bring a safety in the box. And uh, I was shocked at how many people gave us that. So we got pretty good at blocking that front. But then some of the other things that they would do, uh, we had a lot of teams, and this was crazy, they take out the corners. They would put three safeties out there and have no corners on the field. Like talking about personnel-wise that they had the previous game, we had that happen at least twice. To have people take out the corners and go a five front with four linebackers and two safeties. Uh, we played one game where we had a team that had seven or eight guys on the line of scrimmage. Talking about gapped out, one middle linebacker, hardly any DBs. And then uh, last game of the season, we played a team that stemmed and moved everywhere, and they did something really unique we hadn't seen yet. They went uh, head up nose, and they went sixes with stacks and blitzing guys. And I never thought for the life of me, if you think nobody over the guard, nobody over the tackle, that gave us problems because we hadn't seen it yet. And I had never coached against it because I never thought anybody would run that front against us. But uh, the, what I guess I liked about the offense is when you saw a problem, you come back the next week, instead of putting in new plays that you thought would go, it's like, all right, how are we going to block power against this in the future? How are we going to block Trojan against this in the future? What are we going to do on counter? So it's like all the answers were so simplistic, and we didn't have to spend a lot of time scheming it up because it was like, what is the simplest answer we have for a personnel to have success against these fronts? And uh, over time, it was, like I said, we got better and better at it. Okay. Now, I mean, with, with that, how did you practice or prepare for each different looks? Did you did you do like one day a different defense? Did you change it up for each practice? How did you approach preparing for those defenses that you saw? We kind of took the flex bow mentality. So we'd have periods go up where we run our fence drill to where we're on a line or we have pads set right here and we're running power. Uh, we'd run one or two plays of the front, then we'd mess the front up. So what we do is we probably spent five minutes blocking the front that they typically run. So if they decide to come out in their base front, and a lot of the teams that had a lot of rich tradition did come out in their base front. But for all the other ones, we we ran every different thing. And then we had one period we really liked. If the team was really blitz heavy and they showed a lot of different fronts and stemmed, we'd get our start. we go from tight end to tight end, our sniffer and our wing. And then we'd put our best guys over on the other side. And we'd tell the defensive coordinator to throw every different front, every stem, and every blitz at us he could. And we just run power and count repeatedly for about an eight-minute segment, trying to get as many reps as possible. And so what they did is they got better about not jumping off sides when they stemmed. They got better about picking up blitz movements. So, you know, you think you're going to have a double team from your tight end, your tackle. Or your, yeah. And so the guy slants in on the tackle to where he can handle him by himself. So the tight end got really good about climbing a linebacker instead of just trying to wash nobody there. Simple stuff like that, we just did repeatedly. So uh, we probably spent five to ten minutes during practice blocking their base front and the rest of the time blocking a myriad of different things that we thought might give us problems. And to answer your question, uh, some of the simple things we did. So if we played a forefront and that gave us a guy in a B gap and a C gap, the very first thing we'd always ask ourselves is, can our tight end down block that five technique by himself? And if he couldn't down block himself, 
one of the answers we found was pretty uh, simple is we did a nasty uh, split to where we flipped the wing and the tight end. And I've never been a part of the slot T before and how they did it. So whenever I read nasty and I was just a spread guy, I didn't quite get all of its intricacies and what it gave you. So now we got a double team on the three technique with a tight end or the tackle and the guard. And we get a double team on that five technique who was a stud with our wing and our tight end now, because if he still stayed right there, we had good angles on him. And the overhang was even wider because he was generally outside the uh, tight end in the nasty split. So it made our hole for power bigger. So little things that we did like that really helped us on blocking different fronts. Now, I mean, what made you go that nasty split? I mean, that's, I mean, I've seen that. And like I said, it's obviously, a, a, you mentioned the slot T. It's a very prolific slot T. I think some some gun teams have started using it a little bit more. What, what made you go to that nasty split? And then kind of how beneficial was it as you kind of continued with it? Early in the season, we were three and one. We just we lost our first game against a team who uh, is a perennial powerhouse, and we were coming against a team that ran a forefront. And we had a couple of films to where a double tight teams played them. They run a guy in the B gap, a three technique, a guy in the C gap, a five technique, and they roll their outside linebacker down to the play side a wide nine. Well, the problem with that five technique was an ever living stud. I mean, really violent, was causing a lot of disruption. And the whole thing is, in the past, when I ran the spread, I would just say, okay, our play is not going to work this week against that, and I would try to, try to run away from them. Now, we're going to run power. So how are we going to block them there in this front? So I so what I, I got, we got to thinking here is we flipped the alignment of the tight end wing and forced the overhang to do something. Was he still going to be outside the tight end before – uh, as before to where he might be splitting the wing and the tight end and give you a little bit of trouble right there. So it winds him out. And two, what does the five technique do? Does he wind out over the wing in the nasty split or does he stay squeezed? And the reason why, the reason why I say it gave, it gave us problems is because our rule and power is we're going to have a true double team and not come off of it. Well, if you have a three and a five technique, who are you going to double team? You can't double team the five technique because then our guard has to zone against the three technique and he doesn't do zone a lot. So we double team the three and then the five, if the five's going to squeeze right here, our S wasn't big enough to be able to handle this big defensive end because he was a problem. We're not going to be able to kick him. And I know uh, Tim Murphy has a thing right here to where he squeezes. Technically, he logs him and we bounce it. Where we weren't good enough at the beginning of the season with our toebacks and reeds to be able to bounce this normally based on how he squeezed. So what we did is when we did that nasty split, we were going to take our tight end, our wing, and get a great double team on him and get him completely washed to give us a bigger hole right here. When we had a tight end wing in the normal split, we didn't think our wing could help out our tight end double, uh, down blocking right here because he didn't have the angle for it. But when we did it the other way, the wing became the postman, and the uh, I'm sorry, yeah, the wing became the postman, and the tight end became the guy who shivered on the hip to get the double team. So we just we liked the angle of it a lot better. That's why we went to the nasty against them. And the ironic thing is, when we played them, they came out of front. They didn't even come out of front. But uh, ever since from that week on, we had that nasty split, and we knew how we we knew how we were going to handle that front if we ever faced it again. Okay. Now, I want, I want to kind of swing back. You mentioned you pull your tackle and tight end instead of your guard and either tight end or guard and tackle. 
what what would I mean? You said part of your reasoning there was the reads for linebackers, but I mean, what what made you make that full transition instead of staying true where a guard pulls? So when I, when I was in spread and we run counter, even if we had an H back in there, the teams who gave me the most problems are the teams who would blitz that backside linebacker through the A gap, not blitz him, but when he read, he triggered through there. And it, a lot of teams didn't do it, but the one or two teams a year who, year who did was usually a good linebacker. And I actually saw it happen in our state championship game this year. The guy runs through and you don't have anybody to account for. And so in the spread, I would put an H there and say, you're responsible to the play side. And I say, you're responsible for sifting through all this and get to him. Sometimes he'd get to him. Sometimes he would. So when I saw Fife Alabama doing this, you ask yourself, what's the benefits of not pulling the guard versus that one was the, the linebacker reads, but two, if he's blitzing there, our guard just comes off and gets him now. And so now you got to have a defensive wider from wider to come chase us down. And the question is, is that his rules are not to squeeze. But two, if that linebacker doesn't blitz, instead of having to have a tackle trying to zone him, which we don't practice a lot of zone blocking, now he gets a cut block on the on the backside. He gets a simple cutback block or he waves him into a defensive end who might be chasing who's really fast. And so the simplicity of it, and there's a third reason I haven't mentioned. Uh, when, when we were running a counter out of spread, you generally had to have four pretty athletic linemen. When I say that, the guard pulling, the tackle wrapping. Uh, but when we did this, we, didn't, we weren't planning to run Trojan a whole bunch when we started. So now you're putting your most athletic linemen at tackles. So now they're the ones pulling and kicking or wrapping. And then your tight ends become your other wrappers. And generally, your tight ends are pretty athletic compared to your linemen anyways. And when we came here, we actually we moved a lot of our receivers to tight end. And that was a day of gnashing, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. And they actually learned after a while they liked it. But uh, so now we have – we just really need two athletic linemen versus three. But what happened after a while is – uh, we started pulling our guards more on the Trojan, and they got really good at it because that's the only place they're pulling on. They're pulling and wrapping. So if that's all they're doing when they're pulling, they're pretty good at that one play. Uh, so that's why we quit pulling the guard. And there are still some teams who will go back and forth between the pulling the guard and the tackle, the guard and the tight end, or the tackle and the tight end. We just kept it simple. Whenever we run power or counter, we're pulling the backside tackle and tight end. Okay. Now I had, I had two. I mean, two last questions for you. Um, first, how did you approach the install schedule? Where, where did you? Where did you? I can't enunciate. Where? How did you approach it? Did you derail from the typical power counter wedge? How did you approach the install schedule? So what we did is, uh, we took the advice of some guys who said don't go too fast. When we started install, we only installed power to the right. We only installed counter to the left. Where uh, we went off schedule a little bit, this we did that the very first day we introduced them, and we didn't we didn't introduce them out of different formations like little wrinkles. What we did is we said we're going to run power with our tailback, we're going to run power with our quarterback and the athlete, and we're going to run power out of the spin series we do. So those three we installed three plays, but they're all power to the right, and the same same type of concept with counter to the left. The second day, we installed Rocket because we thought Rocket was an easy install. 
Well, the problem that we didn't realize with Rocket is it is an easy install, but since we don't do a lot of zone and hook blocking getting outside, we weren't very good at it, setting the edge, especially against aggressive guys. So we didn't rep Rocket a lot, and I, I think we might have got overconfident with it. So this next time, I won't install Rocket second. The next, the second day, I'm going to install Trojan. And that's all we did the first week. The second week, on the so five days of that, the second week, we installed Wedge, and then we installed Power Left. We only had three or four plays out of each, so we kept repping them. And then I want to say uh, the third week of the season, I'm looking at a couple of my notes right here. We put in ISO and we put in counter right. We tried trap, but we were just awful at trap. Uh, I know some guys hang their hat on just, I guess, because we were a shotgun team. There, there are teams who run it really well at trap. We tried, we tried tackle trap instead of guard trap, and we just, I didn't have enough confidence calling it, so we didn't run it this year. We did get really good at ISO, though, so we put ISO in middle of the third week and got a rule down on it, and we did uh, run – we actually ran ISO a lot more than we did wedge. Yeah. Uh, wedges, so you see some teams – I really like how the single ring runs wedged where they snap it to the sniffer back there. We weren't confident, so we rolled it back to them. And we, we did a lot of our spin series or with a fly motion – and it worked really well against teams uh, that had trouble with eye discipline. We struggled with wedge against the teams who loaded the middle, and we couldn't run it as good as we wanted to. But that's how we installed. We didn't we didn't put them a lot quickly. Like I said, power right, counter left the first week in Trojan, and the second week we added uh, two more types of things, or just power left, and then slow installation. Uh, here, here's something is we didn't run more than five to eight minutes of passing the entire week. So through the first three or four weeks of the season, we gave we gave a pass hole a total of eight minutes at most the entire week. By the time we came to the fourth game of the season or fifth game of the season, we started expanding that to about 15 minutes, and then we started adding more of the pass. And I, I always have people around town ask me, why don't you pass it more? Because we got to be good at something. We're not good at running enough yet. As soon as we get a lot better at running, we'll start adding a few more of these passing wrinkles. So by the end of the season, we had a few more in. Just by then, we developed our identity of running it. Okay. And then my, la my last um, question for you that I'd like to ask is, for people looking to install the shotgun double wing, what tips, suggestions, um, secret sauce, whatever you want to call it, do you have for people looking to install it? Uh, just like, don't, don't put in too much too quickly. Because you guys, they're already, you know, they might already be having trouble buying into it. They haven't done it in the past. Figure out who your best guy is and figure out a way to give him the most touches. It may not be a quarterback. And two, uh, be real. So I coach the offensive line. I think a guy needs to be really involved if he's installing it with the offensive line play from the double teams to the techniques. And then, uh, we may not spend a lot of time in just any per se, but when we did the groups, really think about how your periods are going to be throughout the week. And when I say that, we, we're kind of like those micro doses. So we won't spend 40 or 50 minutes in team like a lot of coaches do, but we'll have a 10-minute segment at least every week to where we're working our guards and our F and our Q with a Trojan with a center. We'll have a section to where it's just our sniffer, our wing, and our tight end 
working on all the myriad of different blocks they're going to do from Trojan to uh, power, to where they're just repping it over and over with different fronts, kind of a flex bone mentality. Keep it simple in that. Don't put in too much and have it to where you're repping your really strengths and just decide what do you want to be good at? You're not going to be good at all. And the last bit of advice I, I'd give them is the whole accordion me uh, method or notion you've heard from people. So the accordion method, like, you're going to keep expanding and expanding this playbook because there's so many things you can do. You're going to see a single wing offense. You're like, oh, that fits us. We can do it. You got to stop somewhere. You got to stop somewhere and says, this is all we're going to do, and we're going to be good at this. Figure out before the season and kind of lay out in your install when you're going to put them in and say, we're not going to put in any more than this because it has answers for everything, and we're going to get good at this. And that'd be the best advice I'd, I'd give people because you just – if you think you're a creative person, you, you want to always add more. You always think this player, this wrinkle will really make us good. Okay. Well, coaches, uh, one good coach, a follow. His Twitter uh, bio is in the uh, show notes below. Uh, like, share, subscribe, all that lovely jazz. Uh, check out our sponsor, Coach Pad. Um, otherwise, that is another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast.